Recently, I have noticed the large number of self-improvement programs that are available. There must be a tremendous demand for these products because one can scarcely turn on the television or radio without seeing or hearing promotions for products that promise everything from losing weight to a growing lush crop of thick hair. (laughs) At times, I wonder if the people who make these products know me personally. (laughs) Today, I would like to offer my own self-improvement program. It consists of three steps that have been useful to me, and I am confident they will be helpful to you as well. What's more, this self-improvement program is free. There is no need for you to pull out your credit card No toll-free number will flash on the screen warning you that you have five minutes remaining to take advantage of this once-in-a-lifetime offer. (laughs) Perhaps the best way to teach these principles is by way of parable. There was once a man named John who, although still relatively young, had experienced much suffering, suffering and sorrow. Homeless and addicted to alcohol and other drugs, John was terribly sick and worry of life. The more he descended into illness and despair, the more he knew that if he didn't make changes, and quickly, there was a very real possibility he would die miserable, useless, and alone. Perhaps because he had attended primary a few times, when he was a boy, John ended up in a nearby meeting house where he asked to see the bishop. I have ruined my life, John said, between tortured sobs that emerged from the depths of his harrowed soul. He spoke of the mistakes he had made and the path of destruction and misery he had trod. As the bishop listened to John's sad story, he could tell that the man truly wanted to repent and change his life. But he could also sense that John had little confidence that he could change. The bishop thought for a moment about what he could say. Finally, he looked up and said, John, I have made three choices in my life that have been of value to me. They may be of assistance to you as well. Please tell me, John pleaded. I'll do anything. I just want to start over. I want to go back. The bishop smiled and told him, The first thing you should understand is that you can't go back and begin where you once were. But all is not lost. You can begin where you are. Choose to begin your repentance now. To some degree, we're all like John. We've made mistakes, but no matter how badly we want to go back and begin again, we can't. We can, however, repent and begin where we are today. In the Book of Mormon, we read of Alma the Younger. He was the son of a great prophet, but he turned against his father and sought to do evil. After a visit from an angel, That left him incapacitated and unable to speak. Alma repented and worked for the rest of his life to repair the damage he had done. As a result, he blessed and enriched the lives of thousands of others. Alma did not accept that he was doomed because of, of past mistakes. He understood that he could not erase the past, but he also understood that he had the power to repent and begin anew from where he was. How do we begin to repent? By first acknowledging our errors and deciding to repent. By committing today 
this very day to do better, to live noble and compassionate lives, to strive each day to be more like the Savior. Our destiny and ultimate fate depend upon our daily decisions. The great Old Testament prophet Joshua knew this when he said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua understood how critical it is to choose without delay, to be more righteous. We, too, should decide now. Will our lives be filled in regret, with regret and despair, or will we repent and strive each day to make our days worthwhile and meaningful? Tomorrow's joy or tomorrow's despair has its roots in decisions we make today. Perhaps some people think to themselves, I know I need to change some things in my life, maybe later, but not now. Those who stand in the threshold of life, always waiting for the right time to change, are like the man who stands at the bank of a river waiting for the water to pass so he can cross on dry land. Today is the day of decision. When John heard the bishop's words, he promised he would do that, what, he, what the bishop had said. Because of his addictions, John knew he needed to repent and improve his health. So he checked in himself into a facility where he underwent the prolonged process of recovery. He began eating nutritious foods. He began to walk and do other exercises. Weeks passed. John was able to free himself from his addictions. He could see that his health was improving and he was getting stronger. But still, he was not satisfied. There were so many things about his life that needed improvement that he felt overwhelmed and discouraged. So once again, he scheduled a meeting with his bishop. That is when he learned the second choice. John, the bishop, said to him, You'll most likely have a rough time if you think you can make per- make yourself perfect all at once. What you must learn is to choose your priorities. You have to put first things first. In most cases, growth comes slowly, one step at a time. We understand this when it comes to mastering a musical instrument, becoming an accomplished athlete, or flying a jet aircraft. Yet we often can scarcely forgive when we don't make the progress we expect in all areas of our own lives. Great sculptors and artists spend countless hours perfecting their talents. They don't pick up a chisel or a brush or a palette expecting immediate perfection. They understand that they will make many errors as they learn, but they start with the basics, the key fundamentals, first. So it is with us. We become masters of our own lives in the same way by focusing on first things first. We all have a pretty good idea of the most important decisions we need to make, decisions that will improve our lives and bring greater happiness and peace. That is where we should start. That is where we should place our greatest effort. Each night before I go to bed, I take out a small card and write a list of the things I need to do the next day in order of their priority. When I arrive at the office in the morning, I check my card and put all my efforts into the first item on the list. When, accomplish, when I accomplish that item, I move on to the second, and so on. Some days I finish every item on my list. On other days, some tasks are not completed. I don't become discouraged. 
However, because I'm focusing on my energies on the things that matter most. John began to understand that he couldn't change everything that was wrong with his life in an instant, but he could choose his priorities. He could focus on the things that mattered most, and with time his life would begin to improve. With help from the elders quorum president, John found a modest place to live. He knew that he needed to find a way to support himself, and as his health and attitude improved, he found part-time work. Each night before John went to bed, he made a list of the most important things he needed to accomplish the next day. Eventually, John was earning steady income. He moved into a more comfortable place and bought a car. Yet, although he was feeling much better about his life, he still felt that something was missing. Consequently, John returned a third time to meet with his bishop. The reason you still feel empty, the bishop said, is because you have not made the third choice. John asked what it was. It is not enough to make choices and decisions and to work on them each day, the bishop said. Many have spent their lives in productive labor and have accomplished much, but they still feel empty. At the end of their days, they lament that their lives had little meaning. That was exactly what John had been feeling. The bishop continued, It is not enough to do things. We must do the right things, the things that our Heavenly Father would, would want us to do. How do I know what the right things are? John asked. The bishop smiled and pulled from his desk a set of scriptures. The leather covered was scuffed and wrinkled. The gilded edges on the paper were nearly worn away. Through the scriptures and the words of Latter-day Prophets, the bishop replied, These are the right things. Some believe that the commandments of our Heavenly Father are restrictive and hard. To the contrary, they're a handbook to happiness. Every aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the principles and doctrines, and the commandments is a part of our Heavenly Father's plan to help us to obtain peace and happiness. The bishop turned to the Book of Mormon and read the words of King Benjamin, and I quote, Consider the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. For behold, they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual. And if they hold out to the end, they are received into a heaven that thereby they may dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. As the bishop spoke, John thought about his own life. The things he had acquired hadn't brought him happiness. Perhaps what the bishop was saying was true. Maybe happiness did come from living in harmony with the commandments of our Heavenly Father. Remember the words of the Savior, the bishop said, as though he knew what John was thinking. For what shall it profit a man if, a man, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That very night, John made a commitment to, the, to open the Word of God and to learn for himself the commandments and doctrines of his Heavenly Father. No longer did he resist the words of the Lord, but rather he embraced and cherished them. And as he did, the emptiness in his soul began to shrink, and in its place he gradually discovered joy and peace that surpassed his understanding. The things the bishop had told John had indeed transformed his life. Where once he was broken, sorrowful, and close to death, now he felt alive, vibrant, and filled with joy. Brothers and sisters, 
Our loving Heavenly Father has given us the scriptures to teach us the way to peace and happiness. Today we have a great reason to rejoice, for His Son speaks to all of us. The Lord does not sit in His heaven, silent and, su- and sealed behind an impenetrable walls. Under the direction of our Heavenly Father, the Lord gives direction to His anointed servants. At this very hour, our prophet, President Gordon B. Hinckley, directs the holy work of the Lord here upon the earth. In addition, the light of Christ leads all mortals to our Heavenly Father and to His truths. It teaches us to love the Lord and to, and to love our fellow men, for the Spirit of Christ is given to every man that he may know good from evil. We have little excuse for not choosing the way of the Lord. Do you support? Do you suppose at the day of judgment our Savior will care one little bit about the wealth we have accumulated or the praise we have received? He wants us to come unto Him, to learn of Him, and to discover the pure love of Christ that comes through embracing His word and obeying His commandments. That is the way to remove emptiness from our lives and to fill our souls with joy beyond description. May I review again these three choices for you to consider? No doubt you have had choices of your own that you have successfully followed throughout your life. First, choose to begin the process of repentance now. Do not delay. Attend your meetings and serve cheerfully in the Church. Learn and live by gospel principles. Begin now to turn your steps towards the temple. Second, choose your priorities. Let your family come first. Hold worthwhile family home evenings. Let the time that you spend with your families be consistent with how important they are. Cherish cherish and nurture family members and never allow busy schedules and frustrations to drive a wedge between you and your loved ones. Strive each day to be more obedient to the Lord's commandments. Third, choose the right, study the scriptures, and the words of our prophet today, even President Gordon B. Hinckley. Apply these sacred teachings to your lives. Reach out to those in distress, the lonely, the sick, and the needy. Do what you can to relieve suffering and help others become self-reliant. As you do so, the Lord will be, be well pleased with you. Brothers and sisters, I know that our Heavenly Father and His beloved Son live. I testify to you that Joseph Smith was raised up to organize the Lord's Church in the dispensation of the fullness of the time. As a special witness of Jesus Christ, I know that the Savior laid down His life for us. Through His Atonement, all mankind can repent and be cleansed of sin. We can return to our Heavenly Father and realize the value of our Savior's infinite sacrifice. This I testify. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. In the words of Nephi, we believe in Christ, we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ. To believers everywhere, the three most powerful behavioral words he spoke were, Come. Follow me. When asked by a scribe which is the most important commandment, Jesus replied, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, 
and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Using the template of these two commandments, let us discuss how we can best follow him. The Savior's example of the reciprocal love between him and his Father was always evident. Frequent, long, and heartfelt prayers by the Savior has set a powerful example for us to follow. The Father's love for his Son was ever apparent, particularly at the time of his baptism by John. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The unity between the two was apparent when the Savior said, I and my Father are one. Understanding that His will and the Father's might even be transiently different, as in Gethsemane, reminds us that our prayers may not always be answered in our preconceived way. Nevertheless, prayer is a powerful action principle. The Savior said that if one has faith and doubts not, all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Our love for the Savior must be accompanied by action. If you love me, keep my commandments. Let us next consider the second of the great commandments, love thy neighbor as thyself, or its higher-level counterpart taught to the apostles, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Although having the next-door neighbors over for dinner is a wonderful way to express love, the Savior chose a much more difficult example when the lawyer asked him the question, And who is my neighbor? There follows the familiar story of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was robbed and beaten and left by the roadside half-dead. The Levite and the priest looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was despised by the Jews, had compassion and cared for him. The Samaritan did not ask about ethnicity before showing mercy. Jesus concluded this powerful story with the admonition to go and do thou likewise. In every big city, we have those who were beaten down and left by the roadside, those who were homeless, destitute, hungry, and sick. Some say that by giving them money, we only support their habit of drug or alcohol addiction, thus enabling them to continue a lifestyle they have chosen. It is so easy to judge these individuals and, like Job's friends, speculate about all the mistakes they have made in their lives that brought this great misery upon them. Before we pass by, like the Levite and the priest, however, let us consider the admonition of the Savior to come, follow me. Remember that the Savior was homeless, had only the clothes on his back, and was often hungry. What would he do? There is no question what he would do. He would show mercy and minister unto them. There are many ways to help the homeless, including the contribution of time, 
goods and money to humanitarian groups, soup kitchens, or agencies that deal with these problems. Nevertheless, it seems to me that we must also show mercy unto them. The established principles of welfare are an appropriate guide. Remember that the poor will always be with us. The Savior emphasized this principle again when he discussed the Judgment Day and the separation of the sheep from the goats. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Peter emphasized the importance of this kind of charity when he said, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Mormon expressed similar sentiments with this admonition, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, if ye have not charity, ye are nothing, for charity never faileth. Wherefore, cleave unto charity, which is the greatest of all, for all things must fail, but charity is the pure love of Christ, and it endureth forever. And whoso is found possessed of it at the last day, it shall be well with him. Jesus both taught and exemplified many personal qualities which we should consider as we try to follow him. These qualities include love, meekness, humility, compassion, thirsting after righteousness, being prayerful, merciful, and pure in heart. We should never judge others, but should do unto our neighbor as we would have them do unto us. He taught that we should be the salt of the earth and a light unto the world. He said that what a man thinketh in his heart is as important as his outward actions. We were told to forgive everyone, including our debtors, and to love our enemies. Not only were we to be peacemakers, but we are also to rejoice in persecution. He advised us to give our alms and to fast and pray in secret. He taught us to turn the other cheek and to go the extra mile. He especially cautioned us to lay up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth. As we contemplate the full meaning of the phrase, Come, follow me, it is apparent that we may have much to learn and much to do before we can fully respond to that injunction. It is of interest, however, that during the first thirty years of his life in Nazareth, Jesus apparently drew little attention to himself, even though he was living a sinless life. That should encourage us to do better in our own quiet and humble way without drawing attention to ourselves. The admonition to come, follow me, and the question, what would Jesus do, provide powerful guidelines for living. Paying more attention to these guidelines will help all of us become more Christ-like in our thoughts and actions. Of the Savior, who is our exemplar, 
I bear personal witness that he lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. On the evening before he was martyred in Carthage, the prophet Joseph Smith bore testimony to his guards. He testified of the divine authenticity of the Book of Mormon. He bore witness of the administration of angels and that the kingdom of God was again established upon the earth. I wonder if any of those guards prayed that night. The Holy Ghost was ready to tell them that the remarkable message was true. With the testimony of the Spirit, they would have known that they should ask for baptism, and then they could have received the priceless gift of the Holy Ghost. With that gift, they could know the truth of all things. I wonder if any of them sensed that night how close they were to starting down the only path which would lead them to the Savior in the world to come, to see His face with pleasure and hear the words, Come unto me, ye blessed. There is a place prepared for you in the mansions of my Father. We all have people we love. Think of them now. They may be our children or our grandchildren. Perhaps you think of your husband or your wife. It may be someone you are teaching as a missionary. It may be a friend. You want with all your heart to have them someday hear those words from the Master and for that blessing to come. They will need that testimony offered by the prophet in Carthage burning in their hearts through all the tests of life as it did in his. To begin, we can offer them the testimony of eyewitnesses. The Lord gave others to stand with Joseph to verify what the Lord had done. They were with the prophet when the heavens were opened. Oliver Cowdery preached the first missionary sermon the first Sunday after the Church was organized. He went into the mission field to proclaim what he knew by what he saw and heard and felt. With two others, he signed a testimony which they never denied. Their witness is printed in the front of the Book of Mormon. Be it known unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people unto whom this work shall come, that we, through the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, have seen the plates which contain this record, which is a record of the people of Nephi and also of the Lamanites, their brethren, and also of the people of Jared, who came from the tower of which hath been spoken. And we also know that they have been translated by the gift and power of God, for His voice hath declared it unto us. Wherefore, we know of a surety that the work is true. And we also testify that we have seen the engravings which are upon the plates, and they have been shown unto us by the power of God and not of man. And we declare with words of soberness that an angel of God came down from heaven and he brought and laid before our eyes that we beheld and saw the plates and the engravings thereon. And we know that it is by the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ that we beheld and bear record that these things are true. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Nevertheless, the voice of the Lord commanded us that we should bear record of it. Wherefore, to be obedient unto the commandments of God, we bear testimony of these things. And we know 
that if we are faithful in Christ, we shall rid our garments of the blood of all men and be found spotless before the judgment seat of Christ and shall dwell with Him eternally in the heavens. And the honor be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, which is one God. Amen. Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, Martin Harris. Those you love can have more than the physical evidence given those witnesses by what they saw and heard. The three witnesses had something more, something we all need. The Holy Ghost bore witness to their minds and hearts that what they saw and heard was true. The Spirit told them that the angel was from God and that the voice was that of the Lord Jesus Christ. The witness of the Spirit was given to them and to many who were not there. It is a witness that can, if we qualify for the companionship of the Holy Ghost, be ours and can stay with us forever. The three witnesses never denied their testimony of the Book of Mormon. They could not because they knew it was true. They made sacrifices and faced difficulties beyond what most people ever know. Oliver Cowdery gave the same testimony about the divine origin of the Book of Mormon as he lay dying. But in the times of trial, they wavered in their faith that Joseph was still God's prophet and that the only way to come unto the Savior was through his restored Church, that they continued to affirm what they saw and heard in that marvelous experience during long periods of estrangement from the Church and from Joseph makes their testimony more powerful. The Lord gave the witness of the Spirit without the same physical evidence to others who were severely tested by opposition and tribulation. Brigham Young, John Taylor, Heber C. Kimball, and many others stayed steady in their testimony. They endured in faith because they paid the price to keep the companionship of the Holy Ghost and the burning testimony He alone brings. Because of that, they had more than a memory of when the Spirit whispered to their minds and hearts that God lived, that Jesus was the Christ, and that Joseph was their prophet. And they had more than a memory of the feeling of peace and the joy that witness brought. Because they qualified for the companionship of the Holy Ghost, they could say in every circumstance, however difficult, I knew it then, I felt it was true then, I feel so now. They did some simple things to keep that testimony bright and vibrant. We can teach those we love to do those same things. Done faithfully, they allow the Holy Ghost to be a constant companion. And we can promise those we love that they will feel joy and peace as the Spirit confirms truth if they ask for that blessing in faith. Now, we teach things of the Spirit best with both example and testimony. I don't remember much of what my parents said about the Holy Ghost, but I remember what I felt when I saw them do the things which brought the Holy Ghost into our home. Here are some things you can teach those you love with your example and testimony, with confidence that the Lord will send the Spirit to confirm truth to their minds and to their hearts. Teach them to pray to the Father 
in faith in the name of Jesus Christ. There is a promise in the book of Omni about that. And now, my beloved brethren, I would that ye should come unto Christ, who is the Holy One of Israel, and partake of His salvation and the power of His redemption. Yea, come unto Him and offer your whole souls as an offering unto Him, and continue in fasting and praying, and endure to the end, and as the Lord liveth, ye will be saved. The young Joseph Smith showed us how to pray that way. He believed in the promise he read in the book of James. He went to the grove with faith that his prayer would be answered. He wanted to know which church to join. He was submissive enough to be ready to do whatever he was told to do. So he prayed as we must, already committed to obey. What he was told to do required his whole soul and finally his life. He endured during the 24 years that followed by continuing to pray with that childlike faith and humility. We can teach those we love to pray with the intent to obey. We can promise them they will gain the companionship of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit will testify the truth to their hearts every time they read in the scriptures which came to us through the Prophet Joseph Smith. And the Spirit will confirm again that God spoke through His Prophet. Teach them to ponder the scriptures every day with faith that they will ta be taught by the Spirit. Now listen to these words from Scripture translated by Joseph Smith. Expect to be taught now what you should do. You will feel impressions of how you should approach the Scriptures and how you should teach that to the people you love. Wherefore, you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore. If he shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. The Prophet Joseph taught us what it means to feast on the scriptures. He said that the Book of Mormon would get a man nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. You will grow closer to the Lord and love him more. That is the promise in Jacob 3 and 2. O oh, all ye that are pure in heart, lift up your heads and receive the pleasing word of God and feast upon his love, for ye may, if your minds are firm forever. You and those you love will receive the word of God by obeying it. That will allow them to feel his love. That is one of the great blessings of the gift of the Holy Ghost. When we feel that love, we can know that our course in life is approved of God. That is the feast of the delicious fruit described in the Book of Mormon. Teach them to sacrifice to build up the kingdom of God. That sacrifice brings the testimony of the Spirit. The Prophet Joseph translated a wonderful promise written by a prophet long ago for our time. And blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion at that day, for they shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. And if they endure unto the end, they shall be lifted up at the last day and shall be saved in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. 
And whoso shall publish peace, yea, tidings of great joy, how beautiful upon the mountains shall they be. All can claim that promise. The youngest and the newest member can seek to build up the kingdom of God. Zion is made up of individuals and families. When their faith increases, the kingdom is established more firmly. We can try to help with that every day. Even the smallest act to build faith in another person or in a family qualifies us for the gift and power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost testifies of truth. Therefore, in our service, our faith increases that Jesus is the Christ, that our Heavenly Father lives and loves us, and that Joseph was their prophet. You can expect that every time you go to a home to build faith as a home teacher or a visiting teacher or a friend. Some may not feel that blessing in their church service, but that is because they have focused on the mechanics and not the glorious opportunity of publishing peace, yea, tidings of great joy to God's children and His kingdom. When that is how we see our service, we will not only be lifted up at the last day, but refreshed and encouraged along the way. And the Spirit will testify that this is the Lord's kingdom restored in the latter days. Teach them to love others by serving others. That brings the Spirit. The Prophet Joseph taught that, and he lived it. Of the many examples recorded of his loving nature, the one which most touches me occurred in Carthage jail the night before his death. One of the men who went there with him was Dan Jones. The Prophet sensed the danger from the mob. He had reason to turn inward, to think of himself and his own peril. Instead, his heart turned outward to comfort someone else. When all were apparently fast asleep, Joseph whispered to Dan Jones, Are you afraid to die? Dan answered, Has that time come, think you? Engaged in such a cause, I do not think that death would have many terrors. Joseph replied, You will yet see whales and fulfill the mission appointed you before you die. Dan Jones survived to serve missions in Wales. Thousands of Welsh converts came to Zion. Some were gifted singers. They were among the first members of what became the Tabernacle Choir. When we hear the choir sing, I hope we remember Dan Jones, the faithful friend of the Prophet Joseph, and teach those you love to remember Joseph's comfort given when he needed comfort. When we comfort others out of our faith in the Lord, He sends the Comforter to us. And the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, gave Joseph the power to give prophetic and loving encouragement. Joseph showed in his loving kindness the truth of the words from the Book of Mormon, Wherefore cleave unto charity, which is the greatest of all, for all things must fail. But charity is the pure love of Christ, and it endureth, endureth forever. And whoso is found possessed of it at the last day, it shall be well with him. The Prophet Joseph is for me an example and a teacher of enduring well in faith. I do not worship him, but I thank and love him as the Lord's prophet of the Restoration. He has helped me pray 
with the intent to obey. I am better able to feast in the Word and the love of God. Because of Him, I feel the Holy Ghost more often in the moments when I try to build the faith of a person in the Lord's kingdom. And because of what I know of the Prophet Joseph in the scriptures, which were revealed through him, I more often feel the love of God for his children and of his for me when I reach down to lift someone up. My prayer is, is that we and those we love will endure in faith in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ and in His kingdom. I pray that we will keep the promise as we take the sacrament to always remember Him so we may always have His Spirit to be with us. I pray that in family home evenings and in missionary discussions and in all the times we worship together, we will invite the Holy Spirit by what we do and what we say and by what we are. I testify that God lives. I know that Jesus Christ lives and that He is our Savior. This is His Church. Joseph was His prophet. President Gordon B. Hinckley is His prophet today. I know this by the Spirit, which tells me that it is true. I so testify in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We believe all that God has revealed, all that He does now reveal, and we believe that He will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We declare to the world that the heavens are not closed. God continues to reveal His will to mankind as He had in all periods of time when He's had authorized servants upon the earth. This fact should be familiar to all of our Father in Heaven's children, for the scriptures give us abundant evidence of this. Sometimes we define communication of God's will as revelation. Sometimes we refer to such communication as inspiration. Revelation, however, is a much broader term. While inspiration can properly be considered as revelation, revelation can also include visions, dreams, the spoken word, or other spiritual manifestations. Elder Talmage explained it this way, Revelation signifies the making known of divine truths by communication from heaven. The word inspiration is sometimes invested in a significance almost identical with that of Revelation, though by origin and early usage it possesses a distinctive meaning. To inspire is literally to emanate with the Spirit. A man is inspired when under the influence and power of other than his own. Divine inspiration may be regarded as a lower or lesser directly intensive operation of spiritual influence upon man than is revelation. The difference, therefore, is rather one of degree rather than kind. There is order in the way the Lord reveals His will to mankind. We all have the right to petition the Lord and receive inspiration through His Spirit within the realm of our own stewardship. 
Parents can receive revelation for their own family, a bishop for his assigned congregation, on up to the First Presidency for the entire Church. However, we cannot receive revelation for someone else's stewardship. The Prophet Joseph Smith declared, It is contrary to the economy of God for any member of the Church or anyone to receive instructions for those in authority higher than themselves. Revelations of the mind and will of God to the Church are to come through the First Presidency. This is the order of heaven and the power and privilege of this priesthood. It is also the privilege of any officer in the Church to obtain revelations so far as it relates to his particular calling and duty in the Church. The closer we keep our lives in harmony with the direction the Lord has given to us to guide our lives, the more He will be in, more we will be in tune with His Spirit. A person who petitions the Lord for guidance must be worthy to receive it. His life must be in harmony and in keeping with the standards the Lord has prescribed for His children. His life must be in good standing before God and His people. It must be in harmony with the teachings of the Scriptures, the Prophets, and the order of the Church. A person could say that they had received a revelation to be dishonest in order to improve their financial situation. Or a person may say that he or she has been instructed that the Church should go in a different direction than that which is being led by the Prophet. We would immediately know that such a claim would not be from God. There is great strength and power in the fact that millions throughout the world share the same testimony of God, the Savior, and the calling of Joseph Smith. We have never been encouraged to be blindly obedient. It is intelligent obedience that characterizes members of the Church. Brigham Young has been reported to have said the greatest fear that he had was that the members of the Church would take what he had to say as the mind and will of God without first praying and obtaining a witness of the same for themselves. In establishing His kingdom on earth, the Lord set forth fundamental principles and laws to govern His children here. Obedience to those laws and principles yield the blessings that He has covenanted to bestow upon us. Violations are subject to His judgments. Reviewing man's histories reveals examples of obedience yielding blessings, and disobedience yielding sorrow and destruction. The course we are to follow is revealed through His holy prophets, who directs us to be obedient to the Lord's instructions. One example is the Lord's directions to the children of Israel as they journeyed in the wilderness. In order that they would have a centerpiece for their worship and activity, the Lord instructed Moses to build a tabernacle. The tabernacle was a forerunner of a temple, made portable so they could easily carry it with them. For the Lord said to Moses, But thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, and over all the vessels thereof, and over all things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle and all the vessels thereof, and they shall minister unto it. 
and shall encamp around about the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle setteth forward, the Levite shall take it down. And when the ta tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levite shall set it up. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own standard, throughout their hosts. But the Levites shall pitch around the tabernacle of testimony, and there shall be no wrath among the congregation of the children of Israel, and the Levites shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. This tabernacle became the center of their camp as they journeyed to their promised land. Here sacred services could be performed. The day the tabernacle was completed, a cloud covered it. The cloud was removed when they were to go forward in their journey. When the cloud covered the tabernacle, they were not to travel. The Lord directed them in their journey to camp at the foot of Mount Sinai. Here Moses was instructed to climb the mountain and communicate with the Lord. Here he received instructions on how the, how the children of Israel would govern themselves in the wilderness. Moses was also given two tablets of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Moses was away for the people for an extended period of time. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us a god which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. Aaron succumbed to the will of the people and told them to gather all their gold and silver and precious things and melt them into a form that made a golden calf, an idol they could worship and carry with them as they journeyed. In the meantime, Moses was receiving two tablets of testimony containing God's commandments to his people. With the tablets in hand, Moses descended from the mountain. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hand and brake them beneath the mount. Because of the disobedience of the children of Israel, Moses took the tabernacle out of their midst and pitched it without the camp. Now their centerpiece, their tabernacle, was away from them. They could no longer be guided and protected by its presence. Now only the faithful were allowed to come to the tabernacle. The one thing the Lord would not tolerate was the worship of other gods. Because of their many years of captivity in Egypt, it was challenging to the children of Israel. After a period of pleading for forgiveness from the Lord, Moses was instructed to hew two tablets of stone like unto the first and ascend up to the mount. Moses spent forty days and forty nights on top of Mount Sinai without bread or water, and the Lord instructed him, Write thou these words after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he wrote upon the tablets 
the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Thus the Ten Commandments were given to mankind to follow and use throughout their lives. Obedience finally brought the law of the Lord to the children of Israel. Disobedience only delayed their progress of the children of Israel towards their land of promise. They had to be worthy to receive the law of the Lord. Note that the Lord delivered His word to Moses, His prophet. The Lord knows what will bless His children and to what end He delivers laws through His prophets to His people. If obeyed, the laws will lead us back to God. We do not determine for ourselves what these laws are. They are given from God to man. The Savior fulfilled the law of Moses, and similar divine instructions were revealed in our day through the prophet Joseph Smith, as contained in the 59th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. The Lord commanded, Wherefore I give unto them a commandment, saying thus, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy might, mind, and strength. And the name, in the name of Jesus Christ, thou shalt serve him. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt not steal, neither commit adultery, nor kill, nor do anything like unto it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God as thyself. Thou shalt thank the Lord thy God in all things. Thou shalt offer up the sacrifices unto the Lord thy God in righteousness, even with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and that thou mayest more fully keep thyself unspotted from the world. Thou shalt go to the house of prayer and offer up thy sacraments on my holy day. For verily, verily this is a day appointed to you to rest from your labors, to pay your devotions unto the Most High. Nevertheless, thy vows shall be offered up in righteousness on all days and at all times. But remember that on this, the Lord's day, thou shalt offer up thine oblations and thy sacraments unto the Most High, confessing thy sins unto thy brethren and before the Lord. And on this day thou shalt do none other thing. Only let thy food be prepared with a singleness of heart, that thy fasting may be perfect, or in other words, that thy joy may be full. Note that the channel of communication comes from the Lord to us. So many times in our history, in our own self-justification, we have attempted to reverse that channel and change God's laws. We find no record of this ever working. We do find out, however, that whenever God's children act contrary to His law, divine consistency and order is interrupted with disobedience and destruction. The Lord's systems work. Adherence to His laws and commandments will always bring about His promised blessings. Nephi was commanded by the Lord to obtain the brass plates and carry it with them into, with their journey into the wilderness. Laban resisted every effort they had made to obtain the record. The Lord then delivered Laban into Nephi's hands.
Concerning the slaying of Laban, Nephi was taught, It is better that one man should perish than a whole nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. This revelation helped Nephi recall sometimes something the Lord had previously promised him in the wilderness. Inasmuch as thy seed shall keep my commandments, they shall prosper in the land of promise. Then Nephi reasoned, yea, and I also thought that they could not keep the commandments of the Lord according to the law of Moses, save they should have the law. And I also knew that the law was engraven upon plates of brass. Repeatedly the scriptures declare that the Lord gives His commandments to His children uh, through the children of men through living prophets. No committee, assembly, or any other authority has the right to dictate to Him doctrine that is contrary to His law. God's eternal blessings are contingent upon our obedience and adherence to the word of the law that is revealed through His holy prophets. God grant that we may always have the will and the courage to be obedient to Him who is our eternal Father and to His chosen Son, our Lord and Savior, that we may enjoy their blessings here and in the eternities to come. In the name of our Lord and Savior, even Jesus Christ, amen. My beloved brothers and sisters, I wish to acknowledge my gratitude for your sustaining faith and prayers. The Lord has imposed upon the leadership of this Church a great and serious trust and you have supported us in that responsibility. We know that you pray for us, and we wish you to know that we pray for you. Not a day passes that I do not think the Lord, thank the Lord for faithful Latter-day Saints. No day passes that I do not pray that He will bless you wherever you are and whatever your needs. I wish to remind you that we are all in this together. It is not a matter of the general authorities on one hand and the membership of the Church on the other. We are all working as one in a great cause. We are all members of the Church of Jesus Christ. Within your sphere of responsibility, you have as serious an obligation as do I within my sphere of responsibility. Each of us should be determined to build the kingdom of God on the earth and to further the works of righteousness. I think I can honestly say that we have no selfish desires with reference to this work other than that it will succeed. We of the First Presidency are constantly dealing with a great variety of problems. They come before us every day. At the close of one particularly difficult day, I looked up at a portrait of Brigham Young that hangs on my wall. I asked, Brother Brigham, what should we do? I thought I, I saw him smile a little. 
And then he seemed to say, in my day, I had problems enough of my own. Don't ask me what to do. This is your watch. Ask the Lord whose work this really is. And this, I assure you, is what we do and must always do. As I reflected on these matters that recent difficult day, I opened my Bible to the first chapter of Joshua and read these words. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee. <clears throat> I said to myself, there is never reason to despair. This is the work of God, notwithstanding the efforts of all who oppose it. It will go forward as the God of heaven has designed it should do. <clears throat> I turned the pages of the Old Testament to the second chapter of Isaiah and read these words. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Ever since the Salt Lake Temple was dedicated, we have interpreted that scripture from Isaiah, repeated again in Micah, as applying to this sacred house of the Lord. And of this place, since the day of its dedication, an ever-increasing number from across the world have said in effect, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he might teach us of his ways, that we might walk in his paths. I believe and testify that it is the mission of this Church to stand as an ensign to the nations and a light to the world. We have had placed upon us a great, all-encompassing mandate from which we cannot shrink nor turn aside. We accept that mandate and are determined to fulfill it, and with the help of God we shall do it. There are forces all around us that would deter us from that effort. The world is constantly crowding in on us. From all sides, we feel the pressure to soften our stance, to give in here a little and there a little. We must never lose sight of our objective. We must ever keep before us the goal which the Lord has set for us. To quote Paul, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We must stand firm. We must hold back the world. If we do so, the Almighty will be our strength and our protector, our guide and our revelator. We shall have the comfort of knowing that we are doing what He would have us do. Others may not agree with us, but I am confident that they will respect us. We will not be left alone. There are many not of our faith, but who feel as we do. They will support us. They will sustain us in our efforts. We cannot be arrogant. We cannot be self-righteous. The very situation in which the Lord has placed us requires that we be humble as the beneficiaries of His direction. While we cannot agree with others on certain matters, we must never be disagreeable. We must be friendly, soft-spoken, neighborly, and understanding. Now I emphasize a theme already treated in this conference. To our young people, the glorious youth of this generation, I say be true. Hold to the faith. Stand firmly for what you know to be right. You face tremendous temptation. It comes at you in the halls of popular entertainment, on the Internet, in the movies, on television, in cheap literature, and in other ways subtle, titillating, and difficult to resist. Peer pressure may be almost overpowering. But, my dear young friends, you must not give in. You must be strong. You must take the long look ahead rather than succumbing to the present seductive temptation. Uncouth-looking entertainers draw big crowds of our youth. They grow rich from high admission prices. Their songs, so many of them, are suggestive in nature. Pornography is everywhere with its seductive invitation. You must turn away from it. It can enslave you. It can destroy you. Recognize it for what it is, tawdry and sleazy stuff created and distributed by those who grow rich at the expense of those who see it. The sanctity of sex is utterly destroyed in its salacious portrayal in the media. That which by its nature is inherently beautiful is corrupted in its popular presentation. I was pleased to note that our Church-owned television station here in Salt Lake City refused to carry a network program of a salacious nature. It was also interesting to note that the only other station belonging to this network to cancel the broadcast was one in South Bend, Indiana, 
the location of the University of Notre Dame. It is comforting to know that there are others who feel as strongly as we feel and are willing to do something about it. Life is better than that which is so frequently portrayed. Nature is better than that. Love is better than that. This kind of entertainment is only an evil caricature of the good and the beautiful. You young men and women who are hearing me today, you university students on many campuses, realize that one of the great problems on these campuses is binge drinking. It diminishes abilities. It destroys lives. It wastes money and time and constructive effort. What a sorry sight it is to see bright young people damage themselves and ruin their opportunities with excessive drinking. It was a great tribute to the students of Brigham Young University when the Princeton Review found them to be the most stone-cold, sober student body in America. <laughs> most of you, of course, cannot attend BYU. But wherever you are, you can live by the same standards required on the BYU campus. I recently read in our New Era magazine an article on young Latter-day Saints in Memphis, Tennessee. In some instances, they are the only Latter-day Saint on campus. One of them is quoted as saying, I may be the only member in my school, but even when I am physically alone, I am never spiritually alone. Another is quoted. I know of lots of teens, a lot of teens wonder if they really know if the gospel is true. But here you have to know one way or the other, because people are asking you about it every day. Every time you answer a question, you share your testimony. These young people scattered through that big city have learned to stand together to bolster one another. God bless you, my dear young friends. You are the best generation we have ever had. You know the gospel better. You are more faithful in your duties. You are stronger to face the temptations which come your way. Live by your standards. Pray for the guidance and protection of the Lord. He will never leave you. He will comfort you. He will sustain you. He will bless and magnify you and make your reward sweet and beautiful. And you will discover that your example will attract others who will take courage from your strength. As it is with the youth, so it is with you adults. If we are to hold up this Church, as an ensign to the nations and a light to the world, we must take on more of the luster of the life of Christ individually and in our own personal circumstances. In standing for the right, 
We must not be fearful of the consequences. We must never be afraid. Said Paul to Timothy, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. This Church, I submit, is far more than a social organization where we gather together to enjoy one another's company. It is more than Sunday school and Relief Society and priesthood meeting. It is more than sacrament meeting, more even, more even than temple service. It is the kingdom of God in the earth. It behooves us to act in a manner befitting membership in that kingdom. You men who hold the priesthood have such a tremendous responsibility. You must avoid the sultry siren voice of the world. You must rise above it. You must stand in the stature of the priesthood of God. You must eschew evil in all of its forms and take on the nature of goodness and decency, letting the light, the divine light, shine through your actions. There is no way that a home can be a place of refuge and peace if the man who resides there is not an understanding and helpful husband and father. The strength to be gained from our homes will make us better able to face the world, more acceptable to the society in which we move, more valuable to those who employ us, better men. I know many such men. It is evident that they love their wives and their children. They are proud of them. And the marvelous thing is they are tremendously successful in their chosen professions. They are magnified and honored and respected. And to you women, I spoke at length to the women of the Relief Society a week ago. That talk represented my heartfelt views concerning you. You, too, can take on the luster of Christ. You, too, can be strong and encouraging and beautiful and helpful. I remind all of us that we are Latter-day Saints. We have made covenants with our Heavenly Father, sacred and binding. Those covenants, if we keep them, will make us better fathers and mothers, better sons and daughters. I believe that others will rally around us if we will do so. We can stand for truth and goodness, and we will not stand alone. Moreover, we shall have the unceases of force, forces of heaven to assist us. I take you back to the Old Testament. And when the servant of the man of God was in risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them.
And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he besaw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. The Lord has said to us, Therefore, fear not, little flock, do good. Let earth and hell combine against you, for if ye are built upon my rock, they cannot prevail. Look unto me in every thought. Doubt not, fear not. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.